This podcast is a peek behind the curtain for those of us who never had the pleasure of serving America in uniform. And we seek to highlight the pride, privilege, benefit, and sometimes sacrifice of that service that's unique to just 1% of the citizenry. While usually appreciated and often revered, their service is foreign to most, yet they represent threads woven into the very fabric of our culture. These are their stories. These are their demons. These are their lessons. This is the Carry the Load podcast. But what we do in the Marine Corps is it's, we teach folks how to do bad things to bad people. And we are experts at training them to do that. Where we fail miserably is after that. Or, or even before that, preparing yourself mentally. You know, shooting, shooting on targets that look like your enemy. You know, all that, while that does prepare them for the engagement they're going to face, what it doesn't do, it doesn't take them off the back end and, and, and tell them how to come out of that sympathetic response that they were in. And I don't, now's as good a time as any. You know, if we had a, uh, to, to broach this topic, if we had a, a true suicide prevention program, then, then we would account for, for the, the, the emotional, the physiological responses that our Marines and sailors go through at time of crisis. And that crisis could be anything. It could be a phase of life issue. It could be a traumatic combat experience. It could be uh, a childhood experience that is now uh, resurfaced uh, because of something that they recently experienced. It could be any of that. We don't teach them how to take themselves out of that stress response and into a parasympathetic rest, relax, recover response. We, don't, we just don't do that. Okay, so what do you say to the guy that, uh, you know, or the traditionalist that says, listen, here, here's, okay, I get what you're saying, sir, but what you're doing is you're setting up an empathetic approach that is going to get in the way of being the trained killer, ultimately. I will, I will <clears throat> argue the point that <clears throat> if you have control of your mind, in control of your, your stress response, you'll be a better killer. Snipers, some of the, the best trained, just precision fire at long distances, you know what they do? Mm -hmm. Breath work. Mm -hmm. They calm their breath, they calm their heart, then they squeeze the trigger. What, what I'm advocating for is when you're done with the engagement, hey, or critical event, again, it could be anything, not, not just a combat-related uh, stressor. How do I get myself out of that stress response? And I do that via breath work and meditation. Is that being adopted in any way in the Marine no, Corps? I, I don't think so, I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. Have you been given any challenges to trying to implement this? So for 25 years in the Marine Corps, I would finish every physical, fitness session, PT session, with eight count bodybuilders, because I loved them, and we'd always do one more. I did it as a battalion commander, I did it as a platoon commander, and everywhere in between. And when my study changed, and I realized the importance of mental health, mental fitness, and not necessarily physical fitness, I told my, my folks, I was like, Harry, circle up for eight count bodybuilders. And I was like, you know what, we're not doing that today. I was like, everybody sit down or lay down, and I, I walk them through five minutes of mindfulness and five minutes of breath work. And to see 
their faces when their eyes opened at the end was, was amazing. And that's, that's how I finish every physical fitness session now. I'm arguing that if you train them that, there are those who are going to push back and say, you're going to create a level of empathy that actually precludes someone's ability to pull the trigger initially. I mean, I can see where someone would make that argument. I don't know if that's a good argument. I, I could understand that perspective, but, but, but I postulate that the, the fact that you're more in control of your emotions mm -hmm. from pre-engagement, engagement, post-engagement, that you'll have a much better individual who can assimilate back into society easier uh, because of the prep work, the mental and emotional prep work we've done on the front, front end of it. I'm going to say what I know other people are going to think on something like this, and I'm not necessarily thinking this, but <clears throat> it's a kindler, gentler Marine Corps. That's, that's going to be the reaction to it. Um, but you've experienced things that a lot of people, that's the word I'm looking for. You've experienced things a lot of people will not experience. You had 10 different deployments. What deployment, what activities in the deployment set the stage for you to be thinking along these lines? Wow. All of the actions, all of my experiences. Uh, but I'll tell you the, the biggest one, perhaps, know your Marines look out for their welfare. That's the leadership principle. Um, but we always tie that to mission accomplishment. So we're going to accomplish the mission at whatever cost it whatever the cost is. This is the debate. On the individual. It is the debate. Deployment number 10, I was the Deputy Director of Operations for Operation Inherent Resolve. And that was a combined joint task force. Where, where was Operation Inherent Resolve? That was uh, Iraq and Syria. Okay. Uh, and then smattering of, of things elsewhere. Early teens? No, no, that was... I guess late teens. It was 18, 19 when I, when I deployed to Iraq. Okay. So I was in Baghdad, um, but I, was, I drove a computer. I was a, you know assistant operations officer, deputy director. But that was my first deployment with kids. So my son was 18 months when I left, and my wife was pregnant. I came home uh, four months into the deployment uh, to see the birth of my daughter. That was extremely impactful. Joseph had some, my son had some uh, seizures while I was gone. Spent the night in the hospital, hooked up to sensors and everything. Uh, still no, no report of, of what caused those seizures. I think he missed his dad, personally. Um, and when I got back, no, no more seizures. Really? Really. But the, the impact of family on my performance at work, uh, whether it be emotional or physical performance, uh, was profound. So I, get, I return, I, I uh, go to Marfor Res, I'm now the Deputy Director, or I'm the- yeah, uh, Marine, for Marine, Forces, Marine Reserve. Forces Reserve. Um, and I'm the, you know, the Assistant Chief of Staff for uh, Ops and Plans. I have one priority now, and that priority is family. And what, is it, what does that really mean? 
to be more efficient at work when you're at work so you can go home to your family, to make better decisions when you're out so you don't spend the night in jail and you can spend more time with your family, to do all those things that enable your family, whatever you, whoever you call your family, you know, quality family time. And when I tie in the breath work and meditation to it, it's I want you to be present at work, but more importantly, I want you to be present for your family. What you're saying, I think, you know, theoretically is, is, is spot on, but is it practical in a deployed, engaged, tactical environment? Um, because at that point, you almost have to be that way in order to preserve the lives of the men. Agreed. So, so, so I can't in a, in a, I'm being ambushed. I can't wait. Hey, hold on one second. Let me, let me, yeah, let me, me, let me center myself. No, no. If we take care of that on the front end, you, you have a traumatic experience. And again, this could be combat and it could be anything else. It could be a life stressor, a phase of life issue that I know that on the back end, you'll have the tools you'll need to deal with that emotionally. Was that, okay, so the, the way you view it now, you didn't always view it that way, correct? Absolutely not, no. Okay, describe, describe how it was before. How, how, did you, how did you approach some of these scenarios that you're, that you're saying you've evolved to? How did you approach them previously? Uh, the, the typical, what we would probably call as a younger man, uh, younger man, um, stoicism. Okay. Compartmentalize it. Don't don't address it. We move on. You know, emotions aren't aren't tough. And uh, so, ten deployments, uh, several of which were in uh, in combat. Uh, I've seen a thing or two, and I thought that I've done a good job compartmentalizing all of that. And uh, in the Christmas of 21, I was, uh, had a little incident at the house where a uh, propane smoker ignited on me, engulfed me in a, in a ball of fire. Uh, my wife was about six feet away, and she, you know, I, I run away thinking my, my face is on fire, my hair is on fire, and I'm patting my, my face. And doing that, I'm ripping all the skin off of my forehead because because of the, the way I was hitting it and, the, and how bad it was burned. And she looked at me and she's like, we're going to the hospital. I was like, oh, I'll be the judge of that, baby. And I go into the bathroom, I look in the mirror and it's like, I'll get my keys. And I got my keys, I drove myself to the emergency room. And, uh, and while there, all that compartmentalization uh, just fell apart. You know, the smell of burned flesh, of burned hair, brought back uh, memories that I thought I had uh, squirreled away. And for me, I'm th so thankful that that happened at a point in my life, uh, both career uh, and with kids, that I'm able to address it today so I don't pass on things to them. And what I mean by passing on things, men, we pass on our, our depression, our anxiety and all that to our kids overtly. So they, they'll actually experience our trauma through us. So how have you, how have you had to deal with that? It's like any, everything I've, I've done, I, I, I jump in. 
I, uh, I went to my primary care provider and said, hey, I, I, I need help. And uh, I remember the, the, my, my therapist, it was kind of tough getting started because there was this fill this out, paperwork stuff, got to mail it back to her. It was during COVID, you know, so there was just a whole bunch of challenges. And there was a, a few missteps and she, she began to think that I wasn't serious about getting help. But then I, I showed up and we had our initial counseling. I started talking about a lot of these things and she's like, wow, you do, you do want help. You do need help. Uh, and for me, I've, I've been telling Marines to get help for years, but I hadn't gotten help myself. It goes back to that. Because you didn't think you needed it. Because I didn't think I needed it. But it goes back to that integrity thing. You know, if, if, I'm, if I'm true to myself and true to you as somebody that I'm responsible for, then I need to live uh, what I'm telling you. And, and the fact that I've had, you know, staff sergeant, I have two senior officers and several other individuals. Uh, some of them see my same therapist. You know, we, we pass in the waiting room and it's not a big deal. I thought it was going to be uncomfortable, but it's not. Because I know that he's getting help. I know he's going to be a better dad, a better husband, because of what he's doing behind those doors. Does that make us softer as, as a fighting machine? I, I personally do not think so. I think the fact that, that I can recover faster and be present, whether it's for family, whether it's for training for my Marines, then I think that we could be more lethal because of it. And if you think about it, there, there's a lot, lot to be said for those that can, that can disconnect, that can connect, and can do that um, at their own choosing. So if I'm, if I'm a well-trained individual with, you know, call it breathwork meditation, uh, warrior spirit, whatever you want to call it, and I can, all right, I'm going into a situation. Family, you're gonna, I'm going to place you aside. My sole fo focus is going to be the, the mission and my fellow Marines and sailors. I, I think that would make us more lethal. So what lessons did we learn from those years that you can speak to? I mean, you know, 10 deployments, a lot of deployments. Mm -hmm. um, what did we learn from all that that you think, eh, maybe we're not going to make that mistake a third time? I think I learned what's important in life, and that is family. But that took you... It took me 25 years. It's hard to have a family and do what you do. It's hard. Yeah. It, it, it is hard. But I go back to that being present thing. If I'm present at work, I can be more efficient. I can be more lethal. And if I'm present at my family, then I can have a richer relationship with my wife and kids. I want to ask you a very uh, sensitive question. Mm -hmm. Did you lose more Marines in battle or after the battle? In combat. I personally lost more Marines in combat, but, but we've lost a lot and I've lost a lot. As a battalion commander, I had a, a sergeant blow his head off. Um, he had a 
previous attempt in the Marine Corps, and he had about 15, I don't remember the exact number, but about 15 to 1,800 mental health engagements from his first attempt to a successful endeavor. Say that one more time. 1,500 mental health engagements, appointments, from his first attempt to his successful one. I'm shocked that he was still in the Marine Corps. Yes. So, yes, absolutely shocked that he was in the Marine Corps. Whether he was in the Marine Corps or out of the Marine Corps, it, it, the results would have been the same. Agreed. Agreed. But the threat posed to so many, to include, I mean, this is just such an issue right now, as we've talked about. People don't want to listen. Just removing the stigma of breathwork and meditation would be a great step. And that, that could be as simple as 10 deep breaths, diaphragmic breaths at boot camp. You're in your, you've had your full training day, you're in your rack, hey, 10 deep breaths now. And so they, they are exposed to, to balancing their autonomic nervous system. But I had, uh, in my current job, one of my fellow assistant chiefs of staff had uh, two suicides within six months of each other in his unit at MAR 4 Res headquarters. And I said, hey, you want me to come do some breath work and meditation with him? And he, he like scoffed. He's like, what? No. Oh, so what you're doing is working. Why is there so much more now? So much more. Suicide, mental health issue coming out of the, out of the military. It, it would be easy to say it's all combat related, but it's not. Well, if I had that answer, I wouldn't be sitting here today, or maybe I would. I don't know. I can tell you that um, I think there's lots that go into that, that question. It's not an easy, because it's not just the younger folks committing suicide. It's senior folks committing suicide. It's a, it's a serious option. And when you, when you have that serious option in the back of your mind or in, in, in your thought process, you become callous to it, not realizing that, that you're doing that. And then you're faced with a, a critical event, and, and then you, make, you take that leap and you, and you kill yourself. You know, and, I, and I'll use myself as an example. I've had suicidal thoughts before, and I thought it was just kind of the dark humor of a Marine infantryman. And then when I started to talk to a therapist, she's like, no, that is not, that is not normal. And, and I came to the realization that, that by the sheer grace of God, uh, whether it's family, whether it's my, my spirituality, that I never acted on any of those suicidal thoughts. Do you know what caused them? Yeah, a compilation of, of all of my experiences. You know, whether seeing the seeing that young man blown up, picking up little pieces of a dear Marine uh, that I deployed with to Afghanistan and Iraq, John Stalvey. John wanted to be a sniper. And so we come back from Afghanistan and he goes to sniper course. Of course, he crushes it. Uh, certified sniper. Uh, and we used our snipers, our scout snipers, uh, extremely effectively in both Afghanistan as Guardian Angel Overwatch for any position that we were in. And in Iraq, they'd always set up to cover our movement 
in positions. So I was in the COC in Iraq, and we heard the explosion. It was a massive explosion. Um, a few minutes later, his zap code came across the net, and I recognized it from when he was mine in Afghanistan. He, he wasn't in my company uh, in Iraq. And uh, I kind of had um, not carte blanche to do what I want on the battlefield, but it, uh, then Lieutenant Colonel Alford said, you know, if I need to do something, do it. And hopped in my, my Humvee, drove out there. And I was talking to the guys. He was in a, a Humvee with three others. Those three Marines walked away from that explosion. John absorbed the, the, the blast himself. And I saw a small body bag where they had collected up his parts and, and put them in there. I was like, did you get them all? And they, they said, yes. And I looked down and I saw a piece of skin with some hair on it. And I said, no, you didn't. And I just knelt down and started sifting through the sand with my hands and picking pieces of him up and putting them in the, the body bag. And for me, you know, just a, a flood of emotions. I don't want any piece of him left out there for exploitation by the insurgents. If I was blown up, I'd want somebody to pick me all up, put me in a bag and send me home. But he was, he had such, such a kind heart. And I know that, that that's a, a, a weird juxtaposition for a scout sniper. But I have a, a great picture of John and I on a seesaw with Afghan kids the year before. It, he had an impact. Uh, and it was, it was massive because of our relationship that we shared. Um, I think all of them have an impact and all of them take a toll. You know, that was the same deployment that we lost our, our friend Ray Mendoza. There's so many, uh, there's so many. Alan B. Rao, just a, another amazing individual. You know, when you talk about carrying their load, um, Ray, Doug, and Alan, you know, their, their spouses have carried their load since they, since they died, since they were killed. And as difficult as it might be for me, it does not even compare to what their spouses have had to endure, their kids have had to endure. Um, th there's, there's a lot. But I think those that I mentioned today are, are, are certainly, I, I can't say at the top of my list, we had Josh O.C. when I was a uh, battalion executive officer in, our, in Afghanistan, rather. I remember that day, we got the call. His last words, Staff Sergeant, I'm sorry. Because he got shot right, right above the, the ceramic protective plate and the bullet tumbled across his everything important. And he was apologizing to the Staff Sergeant. Staff Sergeant, I'm sorry.
you know, just that, the fact that that was his first thought or his last thought on his story about being a Marine. I'll always remember that day. You know, there's, there's a, there's a lot, Todd. Well, you call me anytime to discuss them, my friend. Absolutely. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks for doing what you do. It's important. You're welcome. Oh, come on, man. If this resonated with you in the least, please subscribe and like, and please, please, please share it with at least one person. These are the stories that make us uniquely American. These are the stories that preserve the integrity of our nation.